Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. I think the way I would answer that is no one is more surprised than I am that you and I are here having this conversation today and that I'm doing the things that I'm doing in life now. I think, you know, that's kind of, if all of us take a second to reflect, that's a story that probably all of us that resonates with everyone, right? Yeah. And reflecting is, uh, is a huge tool, a huge thing for us to do. And I'm not sure that a lot of people do take time out to reflect. And I actually say to people that I work with as well around the world, take time out to reflect and think about what's just happened and what you've done. And because a lot of people seem to think about the things that haven't gone well for them, but what about has, what things that did go well for you? And what are you gratitude, you know, the gratitude you have for certain things? Find that interesting. Kevin, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am sitting in my parlor in Washington, D.C. Awesome. And I'm in New Zealand. So it's just amazing how we can talk about leadership and mental health and so forth from around the different sides of the world, which is fantastic. Yes. So Kevin, how did you get into leadership? You know, I, I would answer that question by saying I've always been some kind of leader. And I think, you know, in my adolescence years, I went through this rough period there that I was actually considering not being a good kid. And I had one of those experiences that I think so many of us have that we promise God, if I can just live through this moment, I'll walk the straight and narrow, right? Yep. <laughs> and so I had one of those experiences when I was around 14 years of age. And I made a conscious decision that what leadership skills I had or sort of the person I wanted to be was going to be a good person. And I think that that was a conscious decision for me. But because before that, it was very clear that I could use those skills in a bad way, but I made a conscious decision to use those skills in a good way when I was about 14. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how it was conscious that you made that decision. I think a lot of people in life are on autopilot. They just do things day in, day out, whatever comes up. But if we are a little bit more conscious in our decision-making, then I think will probably help us. So it's really interesting. That whole period for you of, you could go off, not be good versus good. That whole transition, you making that conscious decision, how hard was that for you? What was the experience like? <laughs> well, you know, Dennis, the experience I had is I, I sort of almost lost my life as a teenager, sort of in the middle of a, it was, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. In the mid nineties, there was a raging gang war. And while I wasn't in a gang, I was sort of caught in the war, if that makes sense. And so for me, 
the decision was pretty easy. I was laying on the ground with bullets flying over my head. And I promised God, if I just, if I could just get through that moment, <laughs> that, that I would be a completely different person. So in that moment, the decision was not hard because I was making a decision about the type of life that I wanted to live. But I'd imagine, Dennis, that if I had not had that moment of reckoning, that decision would have been harder for me. So I think that that's an important point, that I had this moment of reckoning that I was literally forced to decide what type of life I wanted to live and who did I really want to be. Whether or not when my eulogy was written, would I bring honor to my family or would it be a eulogy of shame? No, amazing. That is just really amazing because when we step back and reflect on going back to what you said originally about reflecting and that, it's just amazing to see what I call those turning points in our lives, those areas of, as you said, reckoning and make, having to make a decision right there and then. Really amazing. Kevin, now this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? So I think you mentioned earlier in your, in your introduction of me that I just penned my first book. And it's only after writing my first book, and I spent a lot of time writing about my maternal grandmother, and her name is Ella May. Now, I should tell you, in the American South, in many families, it's disrespectful to call your elders by their first name. But in my family, even today, we still call my maternal grandmother Ella May. And by the way, she's 104 years old. But it was only in writing my book and I was recalling these lessons and in life that she taught me, she taught me and my family, my extended cousins, that I realized that not only is she sort of the matriarch of my family, but she's also the leader who I respect most. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, wow. 104 years of age. 104. Yeah, yeah. She even survived COVID, by the way. Oh, she got COVID as well and survived. <laughs> she got COVID and survived. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Good on her. That's fantastic. And I think that for all of us, with our elders, our grandparents and so forth, some people don't have their grandparents anymore. They, they've lost their grandparents. But if you have, even for our listeners, take time to sit with them and learn from them. Take time to reflect with them because... They have a wealth of knowledge and so much that they can learn. And Kevin, you and I are probably at an age where we've seen certain things in our lives, but they've seen a lot in their lives. And you think about where your grandmother was right through to, to now and what she's seen, the different stages of life and things have changed. It's, it's amazing. And, and what they're going to be able to tell you about things is I think we all can learn so much from them all. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mm. I, as I said, I never... Before I penned my book, I never thought of her, quote, as a leader. You know, I just sort of thought of her as my grandmother. And I think that that's even a lesson in that, because it's really like many of us are, are leading, are providing examples of leading, being a leader, and we're unconscious that somebody's watching us, that someone's mimicking us, that we're teaching valuable lessons just by the things that we do on a daily basis. And I think, you know, my reflection on her is, so many of my values, so much of how I interact with people, so of my desire to be kind, to be genuine for people comes from the type of behavior that I saw her model in front of me. Yep. 
And that's something that we need to be mindful of as well as we're modeling things too. And as you said, I, I love it because leaders aren't always having to be in a corporate or a public health environment. It, it is everywhere and we can yeah. learn so much from people. And I uh, recently uh, released episode 200. And mm, I congratulations. Was Thank you. And I was interviewed and uh, I was asked that question, who's my favorite leader? And I said, my grandfather. And, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so I explained why. And a lot of it is he was a president of this island in Greece where my dad's from. And, and it wasn't as if it was he was this large corporate kind of guy. He, he was the president, the mayor of the island type scenario for 28 years. But he, he led the island. He led people. And he knew his place as well because my grandmother was the real leader. And so he... <laughs> So he knew his place, but I think it was really great. So when I ask people this, they say all sorts of people like Mandela and Gandhi and other people. But, you know, when I hear people who say the grandmother, the grandfather, family members, someone else close to them, it's, it's special. I think it's yeah. not, to, not to take away from the others what they've said, but I think that's really special. I would like to say this because it, it goes a step further and gives some definition to why I now call her a leader. You know, she didn't have a lot of money, but... She was quite resourceful. Her husband had died from dementia. So instead of him being put in a nursing home, she wanted him to come stay with her in his final years of life. And so I saw her provide that level of care for him. I mean, that's like what an example that is in itself of being a caretaker, right? So that also meant like my adolescence years growing up, like my, I didn't have a grandfather there. And she didn't have any, she lost a son when he was 25, he drowned. And her other son had gone away and to the Navy. So she didn't have any sort of maternal or male figures. There weren't any male figures. It was my, my grandmother and my aunts, right? And, but she taught us how to use a hammer. She taught us how to fix things. And she taught us how to cut grass, how to tend to the garden. So it's like all of these things that typically people think and like in the rural South, that these are things that men would teach boys how to do. Here, I had a, a grandmother teaching me how to do those things. And then on top of that, she even taught me how to cook and she taught me how to be kind and how to be generous. And so I say to my friends sometimes that I often think that I have this perfect balance of masculine and feminine energy at the same time. And they said, well, where does that come from? I think it comes from the role model of my grandmother. Because she taught us that there, was, there wasn't a task reserved for men. There wasn't a task reserved for women. And she taught us how to sort of just to take what we had and to work with it. And so, yeah, she is like in my book of leaders that I respect the most. Mm -hmm. That's her. I guess I say um, I focus on leadership and I'm industry agnostic. So... I spent the first few years of my career in manufacturing, then the next couple of years in turnaround consulting. And then I, I actually started with our parent company, which is a staffing company. And then from there have grown our digital marketing agencies. So I think the unique part about me is just finding the leadership trends that weave throughout totally different kinds of businesses. And, uh, you know, even though I'm a, a younger guy, I've got to see a lot of things and you start to put patterns together of what things stand true and through industry, geographic, location, whatever it is. Awesome. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about those patterns you may be seeing through throughout businesses and so forth going forward. And, and I noticed that you're doing a little bit of research on you that you're always excited to talk about how your passion for sports 
informs the approach to, say, team building and things like that. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. They say, like, you know, what you learn in school, you probably forget 90% of as you enter the real work world. But growing up, I actually had the chance to play on some really high-performing teams. So you probably don't have much of it down where you are, Dennis, but ice hockey is a big sport in Minnesota. So that's what I grew up. Minnesota in the United States is kind of, we're called the state of hockey. We don't quite compete with Canada probably in terms of the country of hockey, but yeah, that's really, I would say a lot of the things I've learned, even through my career, I still relate back to the high performing teams I was on growing up and watching teams that now have, you know, half the team has played in the NHL might not have won a championship at a youth level because there was too many egos or not the right coach or whatever. And then you have these average teams where all of us are in the business world now that did great, great things that no one thought we could accomplish. And again, looking at the patterns, I look back to, to why those teams melded together in a way that they did to achieve success. And so that's, you know, as I go through my leadership meetings and, and whatnot, even today, you know, I always find myself going back to, to sporting <laughs> analogies that I've found to be true. Yeah, interesting. You you talk about ice hockey. I because I travelled a lot with my global role around with Hewlett Packard and went to the US a lot every year, and in particular to the Bay Area in San Francisco, but also into Dallas, where um, EDS used to have their headquarters, and then they were bought out by Hewlett Packard. And I got the chance to go by a very good friend of mine to take me to an ice hockey game, and it was the Dallas All Stars, I think it's called Dallas Stars. Yeah, Dallas Stars. Stars yep. And then the other one was the Canadian, and I, I'm going to get it wrong, Maple Leaf, is it? Yep, Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, cool. So I got to see that game live, but they also happened to have the Stanley Cup there. And oh, so, wow. I got a, so I got a photo of the Stanley Cup. And then there was a guy there who was the commentator, who's the commentator on TV all the time for the ice hockey games. And so I actually found out later, because I had a photo with him, got to meet with him. I actually was his guest. I went on his ticket. Oh, and wow. So it's pretty, pretty cool. And so, yeah, what a, I just love the whole atmosphere, not, not just the game, but the whole atmosphere and what it was like. And yeah, first time I've ever been to it and yeah, I really liked it. So I think it's quite cool. And I, and I get what you're saying about that team building side of things and how it all works together. So it's pretty good. It's probably mostly European, Russian, like US, Canada is predominant, but I think it is like, there's a lot of things to learn, like tennis. You know, it's a single person sport, the mental, like on off, like I've read a ton of books of psychologists who have coached tennis players and like the skills needed to be an independent contributor versus hockey is a game of slow and execution and positioning. And not only do you have the five guys on the ice, but you have another 15 guys on the bench and the strategy behind that. And so just all the different sports, even though growing up in hockey, you just, every different sport has like its own lessons and team sports versus individual sports. And, you know, I've just tried to, like I said, intertwine that as much as possible into my business life as well. Yeah, very good. So you have a, sounds like a few businesses or a couple of companies there in particular, and you may have more. How did you get into leadership? Oh, accident. No. <laughs> yeah, I think just having opportunities at a young age. Like when I came out of college, my now wife, her husband, her husband, her father owned a company and their CFO had left three or four months before. And so I basically, my first job out of college was the controller of a $20 million company. And I had no idea what I was doing. 
my credits and debits were like backwards, even though I had a degree in finance. And like you slowly, slowly got to learn. And then, and then my next role, it just a couple of things happened where I ended up being on a team with the CEO and the CFO, helping them prepare for a sale to a publicly traded company and then the integration with the publicly traded company. And at that time, I was probably 24 years old and I had a team of five underneath me that led that that charge. And then it just kind of kept going from there where I was actually able to buy with private equity, another manufacturing company, which I was a CEO of, and we scaled that and sold it. And that, but at the end, I think we had 30 employees and then got into turnaround consulting, which was back to that kind of individual contributor, but helping align the organization and then now building Parka. So it was just like one of those things where early in my career, you know, I've always been driven, motivated and, and wanting to like build things. And I think you know, especially at a young age for people that haven't been in leadership roles before, like it's crazy how people observe and watch you. Like I remember when in the second company, when we got purchased by the global publicly traded company, the guy actually, I still remember him because he made such an impression, but his name was Roman and he was from Canada and he would fly in, you know, to work through the integration and stuff. And he always made a point to stop by and be like, man, like for your age, like you have a bright future and like, I can see, you know, I can see it. And the leaders of the company in Minnesota have such great things to say about you. And I mean, just though, like we were going through so many changes, there was nights where I like slept over at the office or we would migrate a system and I would stay all night to make sure that when the employees got there in the morning, that, that they had a functioning ERP system. And so it's just kind of that. Even when I took that role at that company, a lot of the other accounts were like, oh, you don't want to take that role. Everyone's failed. That's fun in that role. Like no one makes it. And I'm like, who cares? Like if I do it and I fail, then I guess I apply for the next job. Right. Like, but yeah, it's just kind of taking that risk. You know, I've always had the entrepreneurial mindset of do first, ask for forgiveness later, which sometimes is great. Sometimes gets you into trouble. But I think that's just kind of the, the will and the desire to lead people. Like even today, like I'm 34 now. Parka is the first job, mostly because digital marketing is a new generation of people. But this is the first time in my entire career that I've had people under me that are younger than me. My whole life, (laughs) my whole life, everyone I've managed has been older than me. And for some people, I've had people ask in the past, like, is that weird for you? And I'm like, I've done it since I was 23. Like, I I don't know. It's just become normal. (laughs) leaders lead like i don't know that you put an age stamp on it so yeah yeah i was really quite intrigued when you're saying that i was thinking myself oh i wonder what that was like for him to and did he have people older than him working for him of course and you've just answered that which is really interesting and the thing here is were you always like this in other words that kind of work ethic mindset of just getting things done giving it a go because you know as you said some people go oh wouldn't do that role you failed. you know everyone's failed and it's just like that doesn't mean i will fail and it doesn't mean but also, I think that's where we learn. So for you, have you always had that kind of mindset right from a young age? And how did you get that kind of mindset if you did? Yeah, I guess we go back to the first question of sports, right? As the discipline and work ethic you learn to be an elite athlete, like doesn't come easy. You know, I spent a lot of time with a lot of credit to my dad is like when I was four five, six years old, we lived in a town of 10,000 people down in the Southwest cornfields of of Minnesota. 
and they had a ice hockey bubble. And because it was refrigerated, it was actually colder in there than it was outside. And some days I would skate by myself with no one else out there for an hour, two hours, freezing, just trying to be the best that I could be. And that led to, I think I was probably nine or 10. My dad saw a newspaper clipping to make Team Minnesota. And at the time, like I was competing with kids from all the fancy rich places in Minnesota and the Twin Cities. And I was this little like farm kid that no one even knew where the town was. And, and I ended up making the team of which probably half of that team today played in the NHL at some point. And it was, it was just one of those things where it was like, if you don't try, how do you know if you're going to make it? And when you do try and you do make it, how cool are the opportunities? Like I was eight, nine years old and we were playing in tournaments in Vancouver, British Columbia and Detroit, Michigan. And I, we were, it was just like, it was kind of like the Mighty Ducks. If you've ever seen the Mighty Ducks, I know it's probably an American movie, but we we're kind of that, that squad that got to experience crazy things at a young age. And obviously that just kept compounding throughout my sports career. And so I guess it's really just instilled in me based on kind of how I was raised and the work mm -hmm. ethic behind it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.